Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Yes, Advanced Medicine Monday continues now. Dr. Batar, he's back. He was... In, in Orlando, I got a stone's throw away, and I didn't see you. You just came in and out before anybody knew it, the ghost that you were. Well, I just didn't really uh, know for sure if I was going to be there, Robert. And so it was an opportunity, and uh, saw some friends, some physicians that I haven't seen in a long time, and it was a good conference. Excellent. Now, you were down there. You said not to speak, but they brought you down there to participate. There's obviously, obviously some things they wanted your perspective on or for you, you to see. Is there anything that you can share, uh, any breakthroughs, innovations that are coming out? Yeah, there was actually um, a surgeon, head and neck surgeon, that gave a presentation, uh, Dr. Nimroff, and he was actually a candidate for the Surgeon General's position and uh, has many, many accolades to his name. But the most impressive thing about him was that he, um, you know, feels that medicine is very close-minded and uh, the the, the the hierarchy is just resistant to change. He was talking about many of these things, and he was talking about how the group that was there uh, was more receptive, and, and it should be more the characteristic of physicians to be open-minded and to learn uh, rather than being closed-minded and feel that they have a uh, monopoly. Uh, they have a monopoly on you know, education and knowledge and how the body works, which obviously we clearly know they don't. And so he actually left surgery after 30 some years and is also now doing a lot of psychological. He's, he's got a PhD in psychology, I believe it was too. Mm-hmm. And he gave a presentation on something uh, that comes from the sweet orange. And, you know, I won't get into a lot of details, but the health benefits and the scientific studies that have been done on this are pretty impressive. And, it's uh, extract from certain types of sweet oranges. I'll, as I get more information, I'll share that. There were a couple other things, too, that uh, that were pretty interesting. Aromatase inhibitors, which are very important for the estrogen dominance in our society right now. Mm-hmm. as a way to reduce that, that uh, effect. It's obviously beneficial for all people. And there was talk about a new supplement that has recently been introduced to the market and the science behind it is quite impressive where it shows that it reduces the effect of some of the estrogens but also has many other ancillary benefits. It has uh, benefits of uh, increasing libido but uh, that's just one of them in denervated mice where the normal muscle starts to begin to atrophy due to lack of use. They showed that that atrophy no longer takes place uh, it, it, there's a lot of different applications in it that were pretty impressive. So just that one component alone, if you have somebody who's injured themselves, if you have somebody that's fractured yes. uh, and then you put them in a cast or you immobilize that particular joint, what happens is the muscle atrophies. And after four to six weeks, maybe even you know as far out as eight weeks, when you take that extremity out of that restrictive motion, take it out of the cast, take it out of the splint, whatever you had to immobilize it. Yes. One of the big problems is the atrophy of the muscle. And when that muscle atrophies, you also get contracture. And that can sometimes be a permanent problem. And so to have something that can actually prevent that muscle atrophy from occurring 
is quite significant. So there's a number of different components like that that I learned about. And, uh, you know, we're going to be putting them together and seeing how we can implement and utilize some of these great methods. And, of course, a lot of it had to do with detoxification. That was one of them. Well, I mean, this this guy that you talked about that presented, what was his name again? Dr. Uh, Imroff. Imroff. Yeah, I've heard of him. But to have someone present on that, recognizing the close-mindedness of the physician community, I mean, I've been talking. We may get to that this hour, too. I've been talking a lot in the media about the whole flu thing, and I know we, we've discussed it as well. There's some more to discuss, but but you brought up the sweet orange, and I remember interviewing a few times over the years uh, about the modified citrus pectin that was developed. Uh, Dr. What's his name? He's from Israel, Dr. Isaac Elias, and he, was, he had a dream when he was a small child, he says, that he would find the cure for cancer, for instance, in the orange groves. And, of course, his, his MCP has shown value in cancer in some ways as well. I, I've utilized the delimining, the distillate from the orange peel, and that's been shown also to have anti-cancer impact as well. So I think the orange is one of those brilliant gifts of creation that we can learn a lot from. Yeah, exactly. In fact, the orange peel, there's a product, and I think, what, what was the name that you said? Delimining? Dis- Delimining, the distillate delimining, from the orange yes. peel. Yes, delimining. Yeah. Actually, that works great as a natural insecticide against yep. fire ants and such, too, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been using orange TKO here on the show for years and approved for organic agriculture, and we use it as a cleaner, but the fact of the matter is it's the best pesticide that's not an official pesticide I've ever found. Yeah, I actually have to get some of that because uh, one of my friends had mentioned that to me, and then actually I think it was uh, the one – Lady, this patient of mine that I told you about that we talked about in the show once, Tamara, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. Uh, also mentioned that to me. So I, I do need to get that. But uh, Dr. Nimroff's, uh, Dr. Nimroff and I had a long conversation afterwards, almost a 30-minute conversation after the lecture, and we were talking about some of the problems with modern medicine. And uh, it, was, mm-hmm. it was really remarkable. There were, we had a lot of uh, commonalities. One of the things, he was standing there with a couple of people, and I told him you know, where I trained, and I just... I said, you know, I, I worked with Maddox, and he just turned around to everybody around him and started smiling. He said, wow. He said, yeah, he knows the deal, um, you know, meaning referring to me because everybody knows Ken Maddox is a very, very well-known. I don't even know if he's still alive or not, but he's a legend uh, at uh, Baylor, mm-hmm. uh, the chief of surgery there. And Dr. Maddox was known to be very malignant, if you will. Okay. and. He had, for whatever reason, he never looked at people, you know, like the residents. He would call in residents, four or 500 residents and medical students and fellows that would be in our grand rounds. And this was uh, Baylor and uh, all the surrounding hospitals that Baylor covered, mm-hmm. uh, including Ben Taub and all these big hospitals in Houston. And uh, he would single out one person and ask him a question, and nobody ever got a question right. I mean, just never got a question right. Uh-huh. Because he just asked these really obscure, difficult questions. And um, one of my senior residents was sitting behind me, asked me a question about whether I'd ordered a HIDA scan on a patient. And I kind of leaned back to answer him while he, out of the corner of his eye, saw it and, you know, called out my name. I didn't even know he knew who I was out of 400, 500 doctors. How do you remember, you know, but yes. was incredible his mind was. And, of course, you had to stand up when he addressed you. And, uh, you know, he's looking at the – he's writing something on the board and he says, um, Dr. Batar, tell me what a hyperoma is. And it just so happened that we had a visiting surgeon the week before – and he had given us this little spiel about hyperomas. So I knew what it was, but it was just by fluke that I happened to know. Yes. Of course, you know, I was very animated, like acting like I couldn't remember. And I was delving into the deep archives of my mind to recall what a hyperoma was. <laughs> you were putting on a play. I was. I was. And I gave the answer. And, you know, he just 
continued with the lecture like, you know, nothing had happened. Yes. That was it. It was uneventful. And about a year and a half later, um, uh, about a year later, I guess it was, when I was applying for um, continuing my general surgery, because I was doing my internship year. Uh-huh. Uh, there, I made an appointment to go see him because I wanted to get a letter from Dr. Maddox. I mean, you get a letter from Maddox, you know, you're pretty much a shoe into any program. You're solid at that point, yeah. And uh, I walked in there. They, they, I'd made the appointment. I walked there, walk in there. The his secretary tells me to go in. I walk in there. He's writing something. He doesn't even look up. He says, Dr. Bittar, I understand that you want to talk to me. And uh, before, I said, yes, sir. And he says, well, I assume it's probably you want a letter of recommendation. And I was thinking, holy crap, I haven't even said that. Yeah. He's I've already written you a letter of recommendation. The, you know, my secretary has it, and I'm certain that any program that gets you will be very, uh, very fortunate to have somebody like you in the surgery program. And I was like, some, it was like winning the lottery. I was like, what, yeah, how did this happen? To this guy one time, and that was when he asked me that question. You know, so how is he saying this? But I mean, he he remembered everything, mm-hmm. and he still had the letter of recommendation. I mean, it was such a glowing rec- letter of recommendation, and. You know, that's probably one of the reasons that I got admitted to, uh, you know, Brook Army Medical Center, Fort Sam Houston, which is where the Institute of Surgical Research is. But anyway, when I mentioned his name that I worked with him, you know, he started laughing because uh, he'd worked in the, some of those hospitals, too. And, you know, we had we, we talked a lot about how medicine is uh, archaic in the sense that when you ask a question such as, well, why do we do it this way? Right. It, it, the, the, they rain on you. The, the, it just comes down. Like the, the, the mere fact that you're questioning why you're doing something the certain mm-hmm. way, it's like you are challenging the dogma and you don't challenge the dogma it's almost like heresy yeah yeah well let me ask you this because i obviously i I have a perspective you know holistically inclined as homeopath i look at the body and i i I respect it i honor the the pathways and i try to say hey is there a pathway that is blocked can we open it that kind of thing and i covered a story this past week of a 14 year old girl ninth grade girl who had uh, died of what they said complications of the flu up there in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, outside of uh, Minneapolis. And the story I got was from someone who knew the family personally, and she had gotten a flu shot, this young girl, and she still got what they called the flu, and then she was having difficulty recovering, a lot of coughing, lung issues. She went into the doctor's office. They gave her prednisone which is, as you know, a powerful steroid hormone, immunosuppressive, uh, is liver congesting, and she ended up dying of complications of all of it. And I'm thinking, you know, couldn't they see this this kid was healthy? She was an athlete, and she was responding strongly, powerfully with cytokine storms, and we wanted to cool them, but we didn't want to stop the healing, and we wanted to open up the pathways of elimination, but no doctor stopped to ask the question. I think it was an iatrogenic issue. Yeah, and actually, that's that was an exact topic of what we were discussing. That there's so many things that we just don't understand. And you know, he said this to me. He said that I feel almost embarrassed. In fact, he said that in front of all the uh, attendees. He said I feel embarrassed, but the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Which is exactly what you and I have talked about many times. Yes. yes. Uh, and I think that's basically when you start to realize how insignificant our knowledge base truly is mm-hmm. and, you and, know, that, that's the sign of the real healer we've talked about it so many times it sounds like uh, Nimrov is, is excellent in that way and funny I have to share this little anecdote a dear friend of mine who's also a physician has come to see you recently from overseas and mm. she had been trying excited to come see you finally to get to see you and she said I finally met Dr. Batar and He's not like the, what other people told me he was like. They said he was arrogant and that he, you know, he would. And she said he was absolutely wonderful, incredibly caring. And, and you know, I said, 
Well, yeah, exactly. When it comes to healing, there's nothing that gets in the way of helping you know the people that are coming to see him. So I thought that was very funny that some. But of the but, physici- other, but what you're saying, Robert, is other in other situations. Oh, I am arrogant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and of course, Ty would appreciate that. But the physician community, I tried to explain. How much that, did Ty pay you to say that? That's yeah, what I yeah. Want. The physician community, I think, is you've gone off and presented your findings. It's exactly what Nimrov says. The, the, the environment there, the people are so closed down that you simply present something that flies in the face of everything they quote-unquote don't know but think they know. They immediately perceive it to be something that it isn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. And I, I guess, you know, I've, when I've seen you lecture at the advanced medicine seminars or, you know, when, when I'm lecturing and, or when we've been doing one of these dialogues on the, on the air and yeah. – a certain subject hits a nerve and, and it's usually a subject that deals with either kids or poisoning or just, you know, it, it's right. hard to suppress yes. that emotion and control it where, because it's almost like you want to grab somebody by the scruff of the neck and shake them and say, are you freaking, you know, have you lost yeah, your exactly. mind? Yes. Yes. We get there. And well, we'll when we come back, we'll talk about uh, briefly about Sandra D because she's got a, a crush on your friend, Ty. <laughs> and, and she likes you, too, of course. We'll talk about that and also how to deal with all of these things, not only the flu, but we've got some other ailments we need to discuss. We're going to take our first break here. Remember, all of the archives you can find at MedicalRewind.com. All of the things, the nine steps to keep the doctor away, the international best-selling book by Dr. Batar. If you're just new to the program, haven't heard him before, get the book. It's, it's incredibly life-changing. We've got the links up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Say thanks to all those companies that support us. We'll be right back. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, Dr. Batar, I am still uh, I'm not threatening you, but, you know, hey, you got to keep you in line. If things go wrong, I'm, I'm bringing Ty in on an Advanced Medicine Monday. And I thought it was hilarious when I got this letter from a listener, long-time listener, and she loves you, too. And she says, but she also now she's got a crush on Ty. Well, I would seriously recommend that she seek immediate psychiatric evaluation. <laughs> All right, Sandra D., you heard it from the good doctor. we got to reassess this thing with Ty, okay? But also she said, I was being too nice. You know, it's, I, I, I'm a nice guy, but you can see me. We're, we get passionate on these things. We let loose on these things. At the same time, sometimes I, I, I temper my intensity to try and find, is there a way we can bring some people over that wouldn't come over via the you know, Alex Jones technique of really getting in their face? <laughs> yeah, Alex Jones technique is a... It's a it's an effective technique. I personally don't know how how people can restrain that emotion. Though Robert, the mm-hmm. difference I think between Alex and and you is that Alex uh, is animated all the time, and you are not. You're you're only animated, and it's not even animated. It's <laughs> emotion that comes out. So it's you know it's a true thing. So I personally don't think you're as nice of a guy as she thinks but <laughs> yes thank you i pre- that's actually the compliment i was hoping for i'm not as nice a guy as you th- as she thinks but you know that's that, that that's the point though we do we do get uh, a very the emotions do well up and sometimes i will say gee i'm sorry you know i don't mean and it's like i don't know there's just this politeness in me for whatever reason and i i don't even know where it originates but the point is there are times that there i'm gonna knock 
hold that back. I'm going to let loose on it. It's deservedly so. And over the issue of this this 14-year-old girl, I mean, having a 13-year-old son and a seven-and-a-half-year-old girl, I mean, any parent, you'd go, why? How would you let them get away with this? First, they inject them with the flu shot pretending that's going to protect them. Then they get the flu or something worse anyway. Then they're dealing with uh, cytokine storms. And instead of cooling it in a, in, a, in a way that doesn't block liver elimination processes, they give the prednisone and suppress the immune system altogether. And then the child ends up transitioning into the next realm. And, yeah. and you know, it's, it's one of these things that when people ask me about the vaccine issue, um, I had an ex-employee that sent me a couple of messages on Facebook saying that her daughter just had a baby and they want to do vaccine. She really needed to talk to me. And, you know, Josh, my special project manager responded to her on the Facebook and she sent another message. Oh, she really needed to talk to me. And so Josh asked her like, you know, what, what do you, what do you need? And she said, I need to talk to about the vaccines, what she should do. And Josh, Josh's answer was, well, I can tell you that he's going to say, don't do it. I mean, what, <laughs> yes. what, what is, what is she thinking? You know, what is, what do you need to discuss? I mean, right. you're talking about introducing a known uh, substance that has, all sorts of problems besides all the contamination and all the DNA addicts and foreign proteins and uh, heavy metals and other toxic substances in there. Besides all that, there's documentation. And, you know, if they say, quote, there's a controversy, but there's documentation of all these side effects that people have had, seizure disorders, you know, death and all this other stuff. So what, what, is, what do you want to ask him? I mean, mm-hmm. you know what he stands on it. Well, he's going to say, don't do it. And uh, so he, he asked me the next day when I was in the office, and I said, uh, yeah, Josh, I think you pretty much covered it. <laughs> you knew exactly where to go with that one. Yeah. Oh. So it, it, is, it is a situation that people have to protect their own children. If you don't protect your own child, mm-hmm. can you resort on the government or some outside body to protect mm-hmm. your uh, – the, the, the people that you are in charge of, the people that you're responsible for, not only from an ethical and fiduciary responsibility, but from a – obligation that God gave you when he gave you a child to protect them and yes. do what's best for the child in your opinion. It wasn't that the, that the creator gave the child to the government or to some freaking, you know, mm-hmm. uh, American Academy of Pediatrics or whatever. It's the parent whose obligation it is to safeguard that child at all costs. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, when a parent, a parent allows a child to get a vaccine, Unbeknownst to them, if they're not aware of the side effects, I understand that. I mean, you know, they've become prey to and a victim of the system that's bombarding them constantly to tell them that it's okay to do this. And in fact, you know, you're irresponsible if you don't do it. But when you know, then you're aware of the controversy and you don't do enough homework and then you're motivated by fear or worse, uh, well, I'm sorry, ignorance or worse fear. Mm -hmm. And then you end up allowing the child to get the vaccine. That's where I believe now you've crossed the line of right and wrong yes yes and you know the obligation to defend your children you know if you're not a parent you may not fully understand it maybe intellectually but not where it's deep into the core of your very being and you know i don't i don't rag on parents that were duped i understand that because you know we've all in our lives been duped at at various times of our lives but there's this point where they're preying on the so-called innocent and i i've just got word out of new york that the uh the this the democrats in, in new york in this case really pushing forward on a bill very similar to what was passed in California last year to be able to give a 12-year-old, for instance, a Gardasil or Cervix shot for HPV without parental consent, saying that the age of 12 should be old enough for a child to give consent to that vaccine meeting with a doctor. Yeah, you know, this is bordering on, on insanity. In fact, I think it's crossed into insanity. Um, I think I discussed with this this subject with you, Robert, mm-hmm. off the air about the medical board when they were trying to 
get me to say that I tell my patients not to take vaccines, which I tell people what I have done. I don't tell people what they should do. I tell people you need to be aware of the facts before you do anything. Just like on the on the air, we tell people, uh, you know, if somebody personally asks me, you know, some like in a friend social setting, I tell them, "What are you freaking nuts?" Of course, you don't get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. But when if I'm in the clinic, I don't say, "Are you freaking nuts?" You don't get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. When people ask me, I ask them a question. You know, I always answer the questions that I'm asked in the clinic. If I really want them to understand, if I really want them to get it, I ask, ask them a question. In other words, I answer with a question. Dr. Bittar, should I get a vaccine? Well, I don't know. Do you think that it's safe to put some known carcinogen, a known toxic substance into your body in the, in the pretense and the possibility that it may prevent some type of a, uh, infectious process from occurring, which, by the way, in normal circumstances, is self-limiting anyway? I mean, yeah. you did the question for me. So this is the type of mental exercise that I want people to do so that they start to think for themselves. I don't want people to just listen to me just because of what I'm saying. Because you mm-hmm. know what? I could be just as full of crap as the doctor that's saying, take the vaccine. So how do you know? You don't know. So you have to start using your own power of your brain that God gave you and start to come up with your own logical conclusion. It has to appeal to your own intellect. But when the medical board was pushing me and the medical board attorney, I think I told you about this. Maybe it was on the air. Did, did we talk about this on the air or not? Which one was this? But when, the, when the board uh, attorney kept on asking me, you know, do you tell your patients, you know, and, and I said, you know, no, I don't tell my patients that. And I said, but whatever <laughs> I tell my patients is my business and it's between me and my patients and it's patient confidentiality. Right. He said, well, you know, what do you believe? And I said, what do you mean, what do I believe? My own belief is my own belief. What are you trying to ask me? And he kept on saying, stop chasing around the bush, doctor, trying to answer the question. So I said, then ask me a freaking question. <laughs> These absurd, you know, roundabout, ask me yes. a question. And that's when he said, okay, I'm going to come and give your child a vaccine. What are you going to say? I said, you are going to come give my child a vaccine? And he says, yes. I said, you? And he said, yeah. What would you, what would you do? And I looked at my attorney. I looked at him. I said, I would drop you like a dog. <laughs> I mean, you know, and he he was like looking at me and immediately changed the subject. And I said, excuse me, I said I would drop you like a dog. And I love my dogs, but I would drop you with a round right between your freaking eyes. Wow. That just taught, you know what? He never brought up the question about a, about a vaccine again. And I don't give a rat's, you know what, what they say, because here's the thing. If you're going to cross into that line of saying that I'm going to come and give this, if you're going to put a person into a scenario like that, I'm going to come and give your child a vaccine. I will defend, and I have said this to, I have said this, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times in public, mm-hmm. I will protect my family at gunpoint if necessary. Yeah, I mean, that, that brings to light, you know, Michael Badnark's famous line when I asked him about vaccines after he got nominated to run for the Libertarian presidential uh, as a re- candidate, and that was back in '04, and he said, Doc, you bring the syringe, I'll bring my forty-five, and we'll see who makes a bigger hole. Yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah. that, that is when you get to that point and realize and understand what you're doing is defending the life of your child in this way. What you're hearing is not strong. It is not too strong. It is not an overreaction because that absolutely. shot could no, end your child's I mean, life. You're absolutely right. It's like by putting a child in the middle of a road and this car's coming back and forth and saying, well, you're overreacting to the, what that danger is to the child. No, you're not overreacting if you know really what the hell you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only people that say it's overreaction are either one that have an s- agenda that, that is highly suspect or they're completely and totally ignorant of the facts. Yes. Yes. Well, we got some more facts to discuss in healing. We got a uh, question from a listener in the United Kingdom related to MS. We'll get to that, give you some tips 
as well. Uh, remember, the Advanced Medicine Seminars coming up every couple of months now. The next one, Phoenix, Arizona. It's almost here. We'll tell you more about that and how you can attend after the break. Check it all out, robertscottbell.com, Medical Rewind, the nine steps to keep the doctor away. You are listening to Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rasha Bittar. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Advanced Medicine Monday continues now. Uh, we go to the, I guess you call the email bag or up on the site. They have a question. And this one comes from the United Kingdom. Liza, I guess, with a Z, is asking about her half-sister who's being told she has MS. And she's 100% certain that we might have some cutting-edge advice or perspectives on how to go about dealing with this besides using things like you know steroids and telling her she's got no hope. So she's grateful for any help we can offer. Obviously, we don't have details of the case of her half-sister, but certainly we can give some basic perspectives when dealing with MS. Well, the first place, um, and Robert, you know, it's really easy because uh, to give people a guidance. I mean, obviously, dealing with some of these situations is not easy, but uh, to give them the guidance because it follows the same philosophy that I've outlined in the book, which is the three steps of, uh, or the three foundations, I should say, of healing, mm-hmm. and then the and then the nine steps that people can do themselves. But the three foundations of health that we start everything from in our clinic in other words just like the foundation in a house it goes into the ground and then you're on a building a high-rise yes we've talked about this before the three foundations are underground and upon those three foundations are the ninth steps that people can do but those three foundations are first and foremost is systemic detoxification you clean up the body the second one is immune modulation Mm -hmm. and then the third one is physiological optimization and then from there you build the nine steps, things that you can do to help optimize the body. So I won't go into all those. People can read the book. But basically, those three foundations of health would be where I start in any chronic disease, including MS. I don't care what it is. That's where we start. First and foremost, detoxify the body. Secondly, modulate the immune system. And remember, I'm not saying increase it or decrease it. I'm saying modulate it. Right. Some some are already hyperactive, so you want to bring them down. Some are already too low, like in cancer and AIDS, you know, diabetes. The immune system is already suppressed. You want to upregulate it. So you want to basically modulate the immune system or allow it to come back into its normal realm yep. by basically pulling out the garbage. It's the first systemic detoxification will allow you to do. And then the last one is physiological optimization. If you do those three things, then by definition, chronic disease can't exist. The problem is how do we effectively achieve those uh three components and then of course you know the systemic detoxification we know the the facts on toxicity online uh, the facts on toxicity.com all those videos that we have there that anybody can get those facts on toxicity videos explain those seven toxicities and then we go into the immune modulation aspect and the physiological optimization aspect and really that's where the nuance is now come in to play because ms or cancer whatever else how effectively we achieve those three foundations, it will determine whether or not you get resolution from that cancer or that heart disease or the MS or the diabetes or whatever else the condition may be. Dr. Bittar, have you ever come across a case of MS that didn't also have a heavy metal toxic mercury burden? I have never seen a heavy, I've never seen an MS patient yet that did not have heavy metals. Now, I've had two patients 
that had MS that are completely typical today. I've had a number of gravi- uh, myasthenia gravis patients. Actually, I've had about four myasthenia gravis patients. Uh, two of them are actually in wheelchairs, and they're out of wheelchairs today. But, um, you know, with myasthenia gravis, I've had really a lot of success. I don't think we've had anybody. We've only had a couple of patients with it, but we've never had anybody that had failed. MS, it's a little different. MS, we've had uh, some success, uh, some mm-hmm. with moderate success, and then some that weren't really that successful. But I don't know whether it was that the treatments weren't as successful or the patients didn't continue them long enough because, as right. you know, mercury especially, it sometimes takes years to start pulling it out. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's very important to make the important distinction that when dealing with MS, it's not a one and out, two and out, three and out. There's a lot of intensity and, and persistence and diligence. It continues and continues and continues to, to really achieve the recovery, depending on where you're catching it, how many years into it you are. But I, I, you know, I bring up the MS thing in, in light of the vaccine discussion as well. Because these are all the unintended consequences, at least on the physician level. There might be some ulterior motives way up beyond that to create chronic disease. And we've talked about vaccines inducing chronic diseases. But there's no question in my mind that the vaccines are inducing these neurodegenerative diseases later in life or younger and younger ages, in fact. You're absolutely right, Robert. In fact, you know, when you bring up this issue with the, with the MS and then also you bring up the vaccine issue, the key is that there are certain people that have a genetic predisposition for the inability to excrete. So I call them non-excreters. And it's these people that actually get the cancers. These are the people that get the autism and later on in life, Alzheimer's. These are the same people also that are more susceptible to the damages from the vaccines because they can eliminate the toxicity components within the vaccines themselves. Forget about the DNA addicts and forget about the foreign proteins and all that type of stuff because that's going to affect everybody. But those people that have a genetic predisposition for the inability to excrete, just like some people are tall, some people are short, some people have red hair, some people have you know blue eyes, some people have green eyes, some people have black hair. There's a genetic predisposition for the inability to excrete. So if they're an APOE 4-4, for example, or they have a methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme deficiency, or they're a, you know they they have a glutathionase transferase issue, or they have a, a polymorphism that allows their or doesn't allow for their superoxide dismutase to work or any other number of pathways that may be compromised, it's those people that are more susceptible than the person that doesn't have that compromise. Mm. Well, uh, these are huge things to consider, as you said, and we we started talking today about Dr. Nimroff and saying, you know, as a physician community, we're not open. We just haven't been open. And, you know, you've, you've led the way in a lot of areas. And, of course, you've found others that have led in their own way. And, you, we, you know, we tend to kind of come together and we're drawn to each other because we have this passion to, to, to bring the information out to help people genuinely recover. Yet, you know, as we joke about it, those that are stuck in that sense of I would call medical mediocrity, they look at some of these physicians that are leading the way and they look at them with disdain instead of to embrace them and go, hey, teach me what you know. Yeah, it's because I think they're afraid that they will lose their power. They will lose their mm. their uh, position in in the hierarchy. They'll lose their title, or you know, I don't, you know what I'm saying. They, they've yes. they've established themselves on this false pedestal, and they're afraid that they will lose that stature. I think yeah. that's what. It, it, well, it's those that embrace the position more than they embrace the service of the position. That's very true, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a big part of this. And, uh, you know, I encourage everybody, if, if you haven't, 
gone and downloaded the facts on toxicity. The videos are there. You can order them as well. I mean, there's so much information that is out there. It's not like... Actually, Robert, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but the facts on toxicity videos are free. They're online. You're talking about the Know Your Options DVD Yes, I, I apologize. My head's going gobbledygooky right now. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you can download the facts on toxicity for free. We've got them linked up as well. Uh, there is, my point is the information is there. So many people are saying it's just not there. It's not there. It's here. Right here, Dr. Batar has it. We've been covering it weekly for two years now. And I know if you're new to the show, hey, that's okay. Come on. You've got a lot to catch up on. Those of you who have been listening for a while and haven't availed yourself of the information available for free, much less the things you can go out and get. And in addition to that, my goodness, take an opportunity to do so because in that way, you're better suited to help others. That's like, you know, when and John Rappaport and I did our uh, online seminar, uh, vaccines, armed and dangerous, all the things you want, you, they didn't want you to hear about. It was all about empowering people with information, giving them a backbone and the history and the knowledge so they can walk through these walls of people that would try to shout them down. And you'd have no – that's the point. You're giving these people a posture to be able to do that. And the thing is that the, the more people that become aware of what the truth is, the more people will become empowered. And the more people that become empowered, then the less victims there are out there. That's the only way that – the future will shift, that the paradigm will shift because the public will demand it. They will not tolerate uh, this anymore. I was coming through security when I was in Orlando, uh, coming back to Charlotte, and you know, I always get patted down. They always question me. They always say, "You know, are you sure you want to get uh, opt out?" And then, you know, of course, you have to wait a couple of minutes. And mm-hmm. they they come up and they'll always say, "Well, you know, I'm going to be using the back of your hand, you know, and blah blah blah." And I go, oh, "That's fine. You know, I, I need a massage anyway. Go right ahead. You want <laughs> private training? No, no, that's okay. You know, I, I like uh, I, I don't mind it. Just go right ahead." And um, I was as I was getting screened, I thought. They've got all these TSA people standing here, and you've got the vast majority of people. I mean, there was crowds, and I think I was maybe one or two people that had requested an, an opt-out. And I thought, what would happen if everybody said, I want to opt out? Mm-hmm. Then what would happen? They don't have enough staff to handle that. And so you've got those screeners, those uh, machines that would be standing there, and you would have – these 20 or 30 TSA people having to pat down, you know, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people every day at each airport. Well, that's what it's going to take. It's mm-hmm. going to take public demand to shift something. Yes. You have to be like the Rosa Park. Yes, yes, the Rosa Parks of the TSA. We need that. The, the opt-out, of course, at that level, would, it would the system would come to a crashing halt. And then people would stand around, look at each other, and this was theater. This wasn't real security. And that's the point. You're right. In medicine, it's true as well. When the doctors begin to opt out, much less the patients who often have led the doctors, that's why so many docs are coming to it reluctantly is because my patients know more than me about this stuff. We've talked about that since the beginning as well. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. And more and more doctors are opting out literally, you know, from Medicare, Medicaid. Mm-hmm. They're opting out of the um, medical system. A lot of them are just leaving completely. They're going into research, writing. I know two doctors that became pilots. I know a doctor is selling real estate now. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, they're just, there's a mass exodus from the profession. Yeah. And, and, and the more the government is involved itself, the worse it's gotten. But of course, that was the one that granted the monopoly to begin with that was not necessary. 
never has been, never uh, has improved the quality of anything. But, hey, let's take a break here. we got one more segment. We'll talk about uh, Phoenix coming up for the Advanced Medicine Seminar and uh, anything else that pops in our mind here on Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Raja Bittar right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. we got lots more to do and a little time to do it in, so stand by. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. In the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Forgot to mention, Dr. Bittar, last hour we had uh, Liam Sheff on and he sends his greetings. Uh, Liam, we were talking about the the, the the physicists and the astronomers and all of this looking at the universe and started seeing patterns repeating. And they, there's this picture on the in the show notes today, spectacular, of a neuron, a nerve cell. And right next to it, the picture of a galaxy. And it's like identical identical and then they're saying wow could the universe actually be alive a living entity and they're just now figuring this out but they're not putting it all together yeah the, what's that uh phrase outside as within or something like that yeah as above so below all of yep. that yes the yep. principles that repeat and of course they still go back to this magical big big bang theory and the bang that's happened has gone off in their own heads because they're not thinking clearly <laughs> Right. Or some people need a big bang to their heads. Yeah, either one. Exactly. So, yeah, Liam was frustrated because, you know, he's written in in his book about the electric universe, uh, the whole different perspective on, you know, energy, plasma, energy fields. We've talked about the universe being a colloid in suspension. I mean, so many things that patterns that repeat, yet they keep coming up with this not these nonsense theories based on, you know, rebellious uh, 17th century citizens of what? I don't know. Yeah, it's... Uh it's i guess how it's how we as i guess a species are robert mm. and they say that all truths go through those three phases the first one is ridicule a uh, second one is violent opposition and then third one having accepted them as always having been known to be truthful mm-hmm. and uh so almost like incorporating and saying well that's our truth even though they were the ones that opposed it right right so, um I guess that's just what we are as a as a species. It's it's how humans are wired, I suppose. Yeah. Well, listen, we got great opportunities coming up for everybody to plug into this all the time, and I'm very excited. You got the Advanced Medicine Seminar coming up in Phoenix. All of our healthcare provider listeners, listen up. You could be a naturopath, a medical doctor, a chiropractor, a nutritionist, somebody in the field of actually working with people, consulting. Both days open to you on. Friday the 25th and Saturday the 26th of January in Phoenix and for everyone else to come Saturday it's all it's you know even the doctors say Saturday is the most awesome part of it and I've been able to participate in a couple of them now and they are absolutely sensational yeah and actually it's designed to incorporate the doctor patient uh, relationship mm-hmm. and to help foster that and yeah it is Saturdays are the best days I, I couldn't agree more but we're not saying docs don't come on Friday, too, because you're going to get a lot of things you will not get anywhere else. And that's the point of it. If you're open, you're going to avail yourself of this, and you will be transformed as someone who is dedicated as his or her life to really healing, to helping people to get well. And that in itself uh, is very empowering, but that's one of the things that doctors have said that have come through, even though it's only a small segment, and it's just a little flavor, a little introduction to what we're doing, but... The opportunity for the doctors to come 
and spend more time and learn all about the IVs is mm-hmm. is very important. I've had a couple of doctors tell me, Robert, just the fact that they knew that there was an option out there where they could actually go the next level beyond just nutrition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was very empowering just in itself. Yep, and a reminder, this is the week I promise I'm going to give you the code to access the private clubs we've talked about with Dr. Batar here, how you can have private associations for the free flow of information and a whole lot more. I know we've been teasing it, and I'm going to release it. I wanted to give everybody time to sign up for the email alerts at robertscatbell.com so you get special thanks to Dr. Batar access that normally you would have to come through some other uh, um, mechanism or doctor. But because you listen to the show, except, as he says, if you listen to Ty on Wednesday, you may not be allowed in. Yeah, there may be like a little search bot that'll, you know, <laughs> out the fact that you've listened to Ty, and then it'll then it'll just like shoot the link down. Have one of those. If you listen to Ty, check here. Oh, Matt, where I, I can't get in now. <laughs> oh, Ty's going to love that. So anyway, that's coming. We've got a lot more, a lot more things that working on behind the scenes. I, you know, we, we talk about this off the air, too. What what should we say and what should we not say? Because people are going to be so anticipating it if we say it too early. Well, at the risk of repeating history, Robert, and bringing <laughs> things too early, maybe I shouldn't say this. And you know, we've kind of you and I discussed this a little bit before, uh, mm-hmm. but something that I've been working on for almost a decade now, called the Ahead Map, which I actually even talked about in the book. Uh, Ahead Map stands for Advanced Health Evaluation and Assessment for Detoxification. Map stands for Medical Assessment Program. That is basically done. We are just working on the on the front end, how it's going to appear. Um, this is going to be a patient outcome-based, SF36 patient outcome-based research model type questionnaire. It'll be based upon subjective information that people give, and it will give us a view into the person's health and tell us which organs of elimination are compromised. And essentially, it's looking at the liver, the gastrointestinal system, the kidneys, the skin, which is the largest organ of excretion, and mm-hmm. pH. And based on those five arenas, uh, it will be giving suggestions what people can actually do. In other words, it'll tell us what the problem is, but the suggestion portion, would they would have to go through the association then to get to the next level. But mm-hmm. anybody will be able to take the questionnaire. Uh, we had a PhD that looked at the preliminary version of the program a few years back and he valued it at around a $300 evaluation. And, uh, you know, whatever it's valued at, we don't know, but people will not have to pay for that uh, if they want to go to the next level and then start in the protocols that we have utilized to address those imbalances. And by the way, the goal is that within 30 to 45 days, patients see a marked difference where their scores will drop. The lower the score, the healthier you are. And uh, it's pretty exciting because we have come a long way. We've been working on this for a very long time, developing a neural network. And then, of course, as we got to a certain point, there was a new technology that would come out. And of course, me being anal retentive the way I am, <laughs> we incorporate the new uh, technology. So I think we're very, very close now. The, the front end programming is all done and um, people can actually get on there and and go through the questions and kind of see where their imbalances are. So that's probably going to be released by, uh, it may even be released by next week, but Probably to be on the safe side February 1st. All right. Well, sneak preview. That's what we want to do here. Let you know there's more things coming as we continue to communicate this message. I mean, we, we, you know, as much as we sometimes or maybe all the time, you guys just say the same thing every time. I haven't heard that yet. But reality is, are we not just saying the same principles, revealing them consistently to the point where they become part of as they are of us, part of everybody that begins. Then you suddenly you're living different. You are different. You're the same, but you're better. 
Yeah, I think that was me, Robert, that said that. I think we said the same thing every time. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right, though. But it, it's you know the truth. I guess is uh, the truth, and you don't need to make up new things each time. Uh, it, it is it is what it is, and you know these are basic principles that we've talked about, and these are basic principles that are true and tried, and they're. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not based on opinion. It's not based on windage. It's it's based on fact. It's based on recurring observation, which is the purest form of science. You observe, you know, the purest definition of science, according to I think it was Plato, uh, is to is to observe something, and then once you've observed it, then you formulate a hypothesis, and then you test that hypothesis, and you see how many times it reoccurs, and if it reoccurs enough times, then that is the definition of science. Hmm. That's how you've established that this is something, you know, that is there's a direct correlation, there's a relationship, there's something cause and effect type thing going on here. And that's the purest form of science is observation. It's not the double blind placebo controlled crossover multi-centered trials Mm -hmm. that everybody talks about. And, you know, this is another thing that I know at the risk of sounding like a broken record because I've said it so many times. Science is built upon facts, just like a house is built upon bricks. But a pile of bricks does not make a house. And so a pile of facts doesn't make science. You know, a pile of facts makes no more science than a pile of bricks makes a house. What what a double-blind placebo-controlled crossover multi-center trial does, it, it accumulates a bunch of facts. But it's like accumulating a bunch of bricks. It doesn't make a house. It doesn't make a, make science out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's where the fallacy is. Right. An example in practicality. You get a 14-year-old girl with uh, influenza after a flu shot. She's got massive inflammation, cytokine storms, fluid in the lungs because her liver is not working. You don't shut down her immune system. You don't congest her liver. Even though you know your drug can stop some of the symptoms, what will it do? What are the unintended consequences? Someone who is really into science would ask those questions that you said by observation as well that are different than the so-called crossover to everything. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I I would say to everybody that's listening, at least to this show, that take a few seconds and send a positive thought to that family and just think about what would have happened if that had been a loved one in your life and be grateful for the fact that it wasn't and that you have more information and then see if you feel compelled to or moved to share some of this information you've learned or any of the good information you've learned from any show, even Ty Bollinger's show. <laughs> oh, man, and, that's and, very and talk to other people about it and share it. Look at that. The big heart of Dr. Batar right there at the end of the show. That's what we're going to end on. I tell you what, thank you for being here. Everybody that listens, uh, Mondays are such a special place to start the week with Dr. Batar here. Advanced Medicine Monday, Medical Rewind. Check it all out. All the links, robertscatbell.com. We're happy to bring you these facts and the truth. That is that the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Scott Bell Show. 